when I am not getting what I want or I'm trying to get my needs met, I will expand myself. It feels almost like a bodily sensation of me making myself bigger to become, they say, assertive or aggressive or independent stance, whatever that is. I'll get what I need and I'll get what you need if you need it and you don't have the nerve to go get it, I'll go get that for you too. And again, I see that as a positive thing, but how it's carried out can be really intense for people and they're not used to that energy and it can be scary and intimidating, but we really aren't trying. Most of the time I would say eights are not trying to be that way because we live in that space. It comes natural to us to access Mm -hmm. that, but it probably is pretty uncomfortable for a lot of types. I'm Sawyer Witted. And I'm Scott Tress. Welcome to The Stories That Make Us. This podcast uses the tool of the Enneagram to explore the beauty and complexity of humanity through stories, both real and fictional. Some episodes, we interview live guests about their stories through the lens of their types. Other episodes, we'll dissect fictional characters to discover their types and learn more about ourselves in the process. Because the reality is, it can be hard to see ourselves accurately. The eye can see everything but itself. Thanks for joining us, and let's get to it. Hello, Mr. Tress. Hello, Sawyer. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's it's a good day. <laughs> That's good. It is 72 degrees and sunny. Mm, it's been a great week. Good week to come weather-wise. Oh, this is, yeah. It's perfect. The only critique that I have is my allergies. I feel like I even sound congested. Mm. It's like this time of year is the best, but then mm. with the allergies, it just kind it of- It gets you. Yeah. It takes away from the fun. Anyway, I'm done complaining. Mm. I have a question for you. Yes. What is your go-to guilty pleasure Mm. song? Be honest. I know for many people, this is different, but I don't have a song I go to when I'm sad or a song Mm -hmm. I go to when I'm happy. Great example. I use Pandora, Mm -hmm. not Spotify. Whatever song comes up, I'm fine with. So if I had to do guilty pleasure, it's hard because I don't necessarily have a go-to, but I could walk 5,000 miles or whatever that was. I mean, that's (laughs) that's a classic. That's one that you could just belt out. It's... That's probably my go-to. That's when you echo. Yeah, yeah, I get it. (laughs) That's such a good song. When we would close at the when I worked at the coffee shop, whenever I would close with my friend Caitlin, Mm -hmm. shout out to Caitlin if she's listening to this, we would put that song on and sing the top of our lungs. Although I wouldn't say it's a guilty pleasure one for me. Mm. I just proudly love that one. Yeah. I'm guilty. (laughs) Loud and proud. (laughs) Honestly. For me, guilty pleasure songs, I'm not going to lie. I like some of like One Direction's like mm. first few songs. <laughs> some of the ones that were like lesser known, like not That's mm-hmm. What Makes You Beautiful or any of the other songs I can't think of. <laughs> the Story of My Life. But I love their song Kiss You. It was on their one album. It was mm. so good. It was so catchy. Yeah, that's all that I can think of. Mm. Anyway, but yeah. No, that, that actually reminds me. I would say my guilty pleasure because I know they get a lot of hate, is Imagine Dragons. I oh, loved them in college. Love. They were fun. They're not yeah. amazing or anything, but sure. they're just they really catchy. Sure. And I know they get a lot of flack. So I'm like, don't their tell anyone album, that I like them. Their, but that's, yeah, their first album was so... I, literally every song of that album, I was like, man, these are just so feel good. <laughs> I started listening to that first album literally this morning. Really? I listened to it in like yep. months. Tiptoe was always years. my favorite song, but I it never came on. Today. Yep. But yeah, that that was never the popular one, but that one, so just good. something about the sound. I Yeah, it's really it. good. I'm with you. <laughs> All right, shall we jump into this episode? Let's do it. Woo! What the people actually came here for. 
<laughs> okay, so today we are talking all things Enneagram 8. The core fear of Enneagram type 8s is being betrayed, weak, powerless, harmed, manipulated, controlled, and left at the mercy of injustice. There's this big push for 8s to feel in control of their bodies, feel in control of themselves, their own wills, and being able to enact their wills however they want. They don't want anyone to control them. Yep. They don't want to feel that because the reality is they have really tender hearts. Yet, as young children, they felt like they had to grow up way too quickly. Oftentimes, they had parents or siblings who practiced, quote unquote, tough love on them, or they were highly critical of them, or other eight children grew up in homes with lots of physical contact, wrestling and the like. And they felt like they had to survive by being combative. Mm. Who else would stand up for them if not themselves, right? And so this led the child eight to believe an unconscious message. It is not okay to be vulnerable or trust anyone. Mm. They believe that if they make themselves vulnerable, that's a weakness that will be exploited, controlled, and then turned back on them. So as they're running from that core fear, they're running towards the core desire, which is protecting themselves and protecting those that they love. They want to be strong, protective, and invulnerable, but... Believing they can never really be sure that they'll have that, they focus their attention on vengeance instead. Mm. And so this work can be confusing when we think vengeance because we just think <laughs> if someone murders your spouse and you want yeah. to take vengeance, it's like very dramatic. It's a lot sneakier and subtle than that. This word basically just describes the energy. This word just describes. This word describes the energy that eights have that rights the wrongs mm. they perceive and injustices in the world. So. The eight can see something that they perceive as wrong or unjust, and usually they're right. So what they then do is they want to move into action immediately and right that wrong. Mm -hmm. And so it's a vengeance in that sense. I'm going to make right what was made wrong and unjust. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing, honestly, in a lot of ways. However, the problem that often arises for the types eight is that it's often subjectively based off of those they believe mm -hmm. have or will betray them, or in reference to those that they love. So this energy then feels their shamelessness over their actions. So they can feel a justification of I'm doing this because I'm writing this wrong. Mm. It sounds kind of one-ish, which is yep. similar. Like they're both in the gut triad, right? So they're both very focused on justice and control and autonomy. But the eights just do it in a very different way than the yep. ones do. One of the biggest differences there between the eight and the one is, is shame. Ones feel a lot of shame over who they mm. are. Oftentimes, <laughs> eights don't feel a lot of nope. shame over their actions. Right? They're just like, no, this is the logical thing to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make things right again. So additionally, on top of all that, there's a belief that the eight has to prove their strength by challenging and pushing against others. They need to show others that they can't control or manipulate them. This all then leads to their core weakness, and that is lust. Now, this word is so charged, right? Because we what do we think of when we think of the word lust, right? We think of sexual lust. And while that can definitely be a part of the eight story, that's really not getting at the heart of what this lust is referring to. The type eight's lust is an intensity that knows no boundaries. We also have to think of lust in the ancient use of the word. The ancient use of the word, it would talk about a sexual lust, but it was more encompassing than just a sexual lust. It had to do with more than just sexuality. Mm. I think we just, we've boiled it down to and yeah. put it in a category of just referring to sexuality now. But mm. back then, hundreds of years ago, it wasn't that way. Hundreds of years ago, lust was described as an intensity that knows no boundaries. It's a boundless shamelessness mm. where the eight does what they want to and goes where they want to, regardless of how it affects those around them. It's a constant desire for more, more control, more power, more intensity. They push themselves willingly on life and people to get what they want. 
what saves them from this exhausting journey, running from the core fear, running towards the core desire, constantly tripping over the core weakness, is the secret sauce. And that's the core longing. For the type eights, that is that you will not be betrayed. And as we like to say, head knowledge is awesome. And we think it's really important to know the types academically. But we also think it's important to know people's experiences and people's stories and what that means on a personal level. So we decided to invite Stacy onto the show. Besides being a certified Enneagram coach, Stacy is also a high school teacher and principal and has 30 years of experience working with students and their parents. When she is not serving her students or coaching clients, she might be found riding her bike, bike backing, camping in her V-dub, cold plunging, doing yoga, hiking, spending time on the lake, working on her projects in Uganda, or spending time with her young adult children or her husband of 33 years. She is also currently writing some courses on how the Enneagram affects the workplace and the classroom. Also, she's a type 8. That's right. And I'm particularly excited to have Stacy on the show because she's a female type 8, which I think is one of the most misunderstood types. The reason that I think this is because when we see a male 8, we tend to think he's strong and masculine. But when we see a female type 8, rather than strong, confident leadership material, they're often painted as another word that starts with an B and ends with an itch. <laughs> And that's awful, right? So anyway, I think that Stacy does a wonderful job of painting a picture of what femininity in type eights looks like. And I'm just thrilled that we get to share this episode with you guys. So without further ado, here's our interview with Stacy DeVries. Stacy, thank you so much for being on the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you. I'm, I so appreciate the invitation. Yeah, of course. It's always fun for me to have guests, but especially when they are fellow coaches who yeah. like have studied this thing and use it to help other people. It's just yeah, you automatically special. have that connection and kind of know wow. some of the same people and mm -hmm. follow each other's business. And it's exactly been, it's I was really excited to see the invite. I was like, oh, I'll do it. Sawyer, I'll do it. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> As we dive into this interview, we talk about the four core motivations of each type. And yeah. I always remind people, and I want to remind my listeners constantly, that what makes you your type is not your behavior, right? It's what your motivations are, your yeah. four core motivations. So the core fear, what you're running from, the core desire, what you're running towards, the core weakness, what you're constantly tripping over. Mm. And then there's the fourth one, which is like the secret sauce, and that's the core longing. That's what saves yeah. you from this exhausting journey, right? It helps free you from that and get you out of that constant cycle. And so for the eights, we'll start with the core fear. That's being betrayed, being weak, powerless, harmed, manipulated, controlled, or left at the mercy of injustice. Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. <laughs> All relatable, huh? <laughs> Check mark. Oftentimes these fears, like we don't necessarily start to recognize these fears until we start to become a little bit older, but... And by a little bit older, as early as like the age of six or seven, some people recognize it even earlier for sure. But the point being, there's this wounding childhood message that every single type feels. And this is where the core fear meets this message that is either heard explicitly or implicitly. And so for the type eight, I'm just curious before we dive into what that message specifically is for type eights, I'm curious for you, what was your household like growing up? What is your particular perspective in it? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that question because when I have coached other eights or I read about eights, the majority of the time their households were 
bordering on abusive or chaotic or crazy. They were forced to grow up early. And mine was lovely. Hmm. I had a great relationship with my parents and I'm the middle of three girls. I was the honorary one for sure, but not too bad. So my household was calm. It was very traditional as far as dad went to work and mom worked part-time and she always wanted to be there when we came home from school. So my eightness, I think, grew out of more the playground dynamics. And because when I think back at like this childhood, the wounding came not from my family at all, but from the kids on the playground. Yeah. Wow. And just out of curiosity, how early was that for you, like age-wise? Oh, I would say it started in probably grade four. And as a teacher, I know that grade four is a pivotal year for students, yeah. just age-wise. So I'd say grades four to 12 were not fun. They were not yeah. fun for me. Some of my earliest memories, I can see my eight very clearly in defending vulnerable kids on the playground. Like in kindergarten. I have specific memories of physically standing between some bullies and a kid that had like a prosthetic hand and just yelling, leave him alone, leave him alone. But I would say the hurt and the betrayal started about in grade four. I know a a lot of eights report that as children, they felt like they had to, and you said this a little bit with standing in front of the kid with the prosthetic arm. But a lot of eights have mentioned they felt like their response had to be combative. They had to power up and be combative. Did you see that at the playground? Did you see it at home? I don't think I put on that armor until I graduated from high school. I think I looked a lot more like my two self. I've got a really strong two part. And I think that I would try to use my two and then it would get taken advantage of or betrayed or do exactly the opposite of what I was intending until the point where I was completely taken advantage of or Mm. literally completely betrayed by bearing that out. And so then it's, okay, you guys, forget it. I'm putting up this wall and you cannot break through it. So I would say that I wouldn't have been combative until maybe university. My husband might say different. I'm way more combative now, I would say, than when I was little. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) It sounds like maybe there was like a painful memory there or like an event. Is that something you would be willing to share or talk about? Oh, for sure. I'm all about authenticity. (laughs) We love it. (laughs) Yeah, there there are many. I I have many bad memories and painful memories, but the one that stands out to me and even my mom when she's, do you remember when this happened? I'm like, yep. So I started getting really stressed out in grade 10. And looking back, I thought that I was a four, a romantic, that individualist who's trying to stand out Mm. from the crowd. I shaved my head. I started hanging out with a completely different crowd, huge shift. And really looking back now, I see, oh, I'm moving into my withdrawn five space, completely independent. You guys just leave me alone and private. And so through high school, I really only had one good friend. And I know God put us together for the time period that he did. But in grade 12, she severely betrayed me with a boy Mm. that I was dating. And she was dating him behind my back as well. And yeah, I didn't even really care about him that much. But to know that she would do that, I can still see the images in my mind coming home from that meeting with her and going down to my bedroom and slamming my door and just letting loose a fury of that's it the armor's on and i'm not doing that again so it was a very specific betrayal that i think flipped that switch 
for me. Yeah. First of all, I'm so sorry that happened. That's awful. Yeah. I think something that people so misunderstand about eights is the tenderness. And so it actually doesn't surprise me at all that you're sharing about in your childhood, you felt like you were more too, right? This more tenderheartedness and openness and vulnerability that showed. I don't think eights are just born with their armor on. Like something, something needs to hurt that tender, sweet heart enough for that person to then say, okay, here's the armor. I heard someone say in a podcast that really resonated with me that we become who we needed as a child. And I was like, oh man, that is 100% absolutely true with me. I could have used someone to stick up for me and tell me that it was okay to say no and it was okay to stand up for myself. Mm. Yeah. So now I don't have any problem doing that, but sometimes to my (laughs) detriment. I just bought a shirt that just says nope across the front. (laughs) If that isn't a type eight shirt, I don't know what is. Yeah. Nope. (laughs) Nope. Not doing that. Nope. (laughs) I love it. So as we were talking a little bit earlier, there's this implicit or explicit message that plays for the child. And that pain leads to this message that says it's not okay to be vulnerable or trust anyone. And you can set it in your own words when you said, nope, not doing that again. Yep. Nope. I'm not believing you. You're not going to use me. Mm. Whatever. It's Mm. very true. It's hard. Oftentimes this dynamic happens Mm. where because we don't want to feel this fear, which just feels catastrophic to us, if that fear were to come true, especially as children and young adults and still feels it even as you get older, like it mm-hmm. still feels that way at times. But if that core fear comes true, if it actualizes in my world, it will be catastrophic. Mm-hmm. I won't recover. And so what we do is we develop these defense mechanisms to hamper that fear, make sure that fear never actualizes. And so for the eight, the defense mechanism is denial. And what that looks like for the eight is often they'll deny their weaknesses in ways that others have said that they've hurt them. It's almost like that never actually happened or you're wrong or kind of this combativeness and defensiveness. And it's how the eight defends their fear, right? And there's this mm-hmm. message that, that plays something like this in their head. As I continue to deny my weaknesses or vulnerabilities, I no longer have to feel controlled, manipulated, vulnerable to attack and can focus all my attention on getting what I desire. And even though that's not necessarily an explicit message, although sometimes it is, that can be subconsciously underneath there. Have you seen this defense mechanism in your life? I was laughing at the beginning of when you were talking because I love my defense mechanism. (laughs) I love mine too. (laughs) I've actually heard that, and I don't know if it's true, that eights, when they hear their defense mechanism, they're like, yeah, so why is that bad? (laughs) That is how I get all the stuff done that I get done. So I see two sides of this, but what you have just said, that we can deny the ways that we come across to people and ways that we've hurt people, that is where it is a bad thing for sure. Okay. And so if I can deny my vulnerability as far as physically, if I can deny my weakness, mostly physically, because you know we live in our body, so that's yeah. where we live, then I can accomplish great things. I can do things, I can do them faster than anyone else. And that's why eights looks like good leaders and all of these things, all these great things about eights. But absolutely, there have been just recently, even times where people have said, when you said this, it hurt me. And I'm just totally denying that would be hurtful. Either I'm denying that I have, you know, maybe the wrong tone Mm. when I said it. No, I didn't say it like that. If you were to actually tape me, maybe I did say it like that, but I'm denying it. So I really like it. It's actually given me a lot to think about. 
that because I've always been so proud of the defense mechanism, but to see that it's actually causing me to deny how I can hurt people, that is something to ponder. And I'm going to have to unpack that a little bit because my husband will tell you that, yes, that is true. (laughs) Because I know what's in my heart and what my intention really was and how I said that, I can deny that it hurt you. Yeah. That's where people can see that and think, oh, they're just being defensive or yeah, yeah, other unkind words. And I think in our culture, especially, and would love for, to hear you speak to some of this. I feel like in our culture, whenever someone's angry about something or showing anger, it's just automatically assumed it's bad or like that person just out of control. And I like anger is just such a good emotion. Like it's such a healthy emotion to have. And too many of us repress our anger. And so I feel like when you can see what's what you're saying, like the motives underneath the anger, underneath the powering up, underneath the armor, you see the young girl who's standing in front of the vulnerable, the kid mm-hmm. with the prosthetic and defending him against mm-hmm. bullies, her. Like that's, yeah, it's so beautiful. And we miss that in the moment of anger when we're experiencing an anger. of an anger. Yeah. And, and to be honest, we're not that good at it sometimes. So mm. there is a point where the anger is absolutely, it just feels like passion. Sure. In our bodies, it just feels like, no, I really feel strongly about this. Yeah. And then other times it can get toxic. And I think the motivation behind the anger, like getting angry about something that's unjust, like defending the kid on the playground, that's a healthy type of anger. But if I'm getting angry because you're making me feel weak, or if I'm getting angry because I'm insecure and I think you're trying to control me somehow, so I get Mm -hmm. angry, that's my problem. That's Mm -hmm. my internal motivation. That's reading the situation wrong. And that's where that fear, that's my fear showing up and then I'm going to fight back. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's a really good segue into the next motivation, the second motivation, which is the core desire. And that's to protect themselves and those that they love. And there's such a focus on this for eights. You Mm -hmm. want to be strong. You want to be protective. You want to be invulnerable. But believing that you can never be sure that you'll have that, you focus your attention on this mental fixation. And what we call that for the eight is a powerful word. It's vengeance. And basically, all of this word is describing is the energy that eights have to right the wrongs that they perceive and the injustices in the world. It's like uh, something unjust is happening, and I'm going to take vengeance. <laughs> I'm going Absolutely. to fix it. Yep. It's not always a bad thing. But obviously, like you were just saying about the armoring up and the anger, like there's good and there's bad times where it shows up. <laughs> And so the problem with the eight's vengeance is that oftentimes it's subjective because it's what they're feeling based off of their reactions to people who have betrayed them or those that they love. And then yeah. at times it's, this energy can fuel a shamelessness over their actions, which again, like the shamelessness, the vengeance, the denial, like they all seem to go hand in hand and feed each other. So yeah, I'm just curious as I share all of that, what's coming up mm-hmm. for you? What are you thinking? I love vengeance. (laughs) (laughs) I love denial. I love vengeance. I love my anger. I love all my bad parts. No bad parts. parts. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) My favorite movies are vengeance movies. And usually they come out of an injustice and then John Wick or Leah Beeson and they're going to write the wrong. And I'm just like, you go. In my own life, because I have a really strong nine wing, Hmm. It's an interesting dynamic in me with this because 
If the conflict is not mine, then I don't want it. Like I wouldn't want to fire someone. I would really shy away from telling someone that they're doing something wrong if it's not directly affecting me or someone I love. Yeah. But if someone's doing something against someone I love, then they better watch out because Mm. I have to taper that. I have to, I'll express if someone wrongs my husband, let's just say. I'd be like, you want me to go beat him up for you? And I say that as a joke, but I'm like, legit would go call someone and Mm -hmm. have words. And of course, I'm never going to do that because it completely undermines the whole situation and never gets very far as far as what you want to come out of the situation. But I do feel it in my body that I'm ready to go do it. Yeah. But what I have found is if I do that too much, this protecting, it undermines people and inadvertently or it gives them the message that they can't handle it themselves. So what I've tried to do more lately is think about empowering people rather than taking on that power myself and fix. I'm a fixer for sure because my two is so strong as well. I'll fix it for you. (laughs) But then it's really cutting them off at the knees and gives them the message that they're not capable of doing that themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's not exactly vengeance, but it does show up with the protective part. Yeah. I'm curious. I would love for you to describe what you mean by shameless. Sure. Do you mean that we are doing it and we just don't care that we're hurting people or we don't notice maybe because we're in that denial state? Tell me a little bit more about that word. Yeah, totally. I feel like describing the word shame is most helpful when I actually contrast it with the word guilt. So this is not a hard and fast rule, but guilt tends to be, I feel guilt over something that I've done. Shame tends to be, I feel shame over who I am (laughs) or to use a different term. Guilt is, I feel bad about something I did. Shame is, I feel bad about who I am or something about me. And okay. so there's a much more like personal feeling with shame. And I think there are times where eights will react in their anger to a certain situation. And it's almost as if they have no shame. I'm going to speak what's on my mind. I'm going to act the way I'm going to act. And you're going to deal with it. And everyone's affected by shame. Everyone has shame. But I guess it's more so this in the moment, maybe? I don't know. What do you think? I think you're right. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But again, I think I can do it on behalf of other people. Sure. But but I would feel more shame if I was asserting myself or making myself that big in a situation that was just about me. Sure. Maybe not. I don't know. I can think of a story where I just should have kept my mouth shut. It was no one but me. (laughs) Do share. (laughs) I ride bikes a lot. My husband is a really good cyclist and couple of years ago, a few years ago, he was hit by a semi-truck while he was riding his bike. And that, so that was pretty traumatic. He's okay. And he's almost fully recovered from that. But I'm very sensitive to how cars treat me when I'm out on my bike. And Mm. so I had a situation where I was going one way and it was a passing lane. And so someone was passing another car coming from the other direction. So it looks like they're coming at you head on. I don't know if you can picture what I'm saying, but this Big truck was coming at me. And in typical eight fashion, I flip him off. (laughs) I just just like my aggressive way of saying, hey, you just wronged me. And uh, usually nothing happens when I do that. And I try not to do it, but I felt very vulnerable out there. Who hasn't flipped someone off in their time? Who hasn't? Yeah. Especially when you're out on the road. Yep. Okay, good. (laughs) So we have that in common. Oh, yeah. I did not expect him to turn his truck around and come back 
Oh, gosh. And see, but in my mind, when I saw him in my rearview mirror coming at me, it wasn't, oh, shoot. I, I actually, my mind is like, game on, is mm. what I said in my head. Yeah. I was like, I will meet you here. And right. so he pulled over and threw gravel up at me and pulled over. And I, we probably yelled at each other for about 15, 20 minutes. And I was shaking. And then I was like, Cece, calm down. So I took a deep breath and I was like, okay, let's just start over here. And I put my, put my hand on his vehicle to calm myself and just be like, Let, let's just work this out here. And he said, get your effing hand off my truck. Oh, oh my. So then it was game on again. I just got sour <laughs> on it again. And, but then the whole way home, I was hoping he would pass me again so I could flag him down and apologize. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, Sure. But it was, yeah, that defensiveness and well, the protectiveness, yeah. Yeah. it can come out in good and bad ways for sure. That way wasn't so great. I was ready for the fight. It's so crazy. There's that yeah. denial of thinking, here's a man in a big truck and I'm on a bicycle and a woman, but yeah. he can't hurt me. Sure. <laughs> so what's going on in my head? I don't know. Sure. Yeah. I love this about eights. I really do. Because I feel like you guys just say what everyone else is thinking. I really do feel that way. And yes, you're right. Like It's not necessarily always healthy, of course. No. But I think there is some beauty in the fact that you guys don't have filters oftentimes. And it's, yeah, y'all say what most of us are thinking. <laughs> yeah, it gets us into trouble though. Sure. I think I find a way to do that more kindly here in a way. And sure. I think that's where my nine wing is a yeah. real asset because mm. I, I can tone that down and say, okay, what do I need out of the situation? How I can see their perspective on it drawing right. from that nine space, but I still want what I want and will say what I think needs yeah. to be said. Yeah. Try to do it gently, but it doesn't always come out that way. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Thanks for sharing that. I do really appreciate <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. that story. Yeah. The vulnerability to share it. Love it. And part of it was protecting John from being hit. I even brought that up. It's like, my husband was hit by a truck and you can't drive yeah. like that. And so in my mind, I'm also defending all the cyclists that sure. have ever been cut off by anyone. Totally. It's just, yeah. It, this was a bigger thing than bigger just... Than it is. Sure. It was yeah. a bigger thing than just yeah. you. But also, also like speaking out of trauma too, right? Yeah. The trauma <laughs> of you could have lost your husband. Like, hello. Yeah. It makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sawyer. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, were you there when your husband got hit? The when he I got wasn't. Hit? I had to. Okay. I got a phone call and had to fly down. And yeah. Ooh. So you weren't there that time, but now you're here, and mm -hmm. this situation's happening again. That you're that like, I wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. And now you I have this situation there. where you're like, I'm here now, even though he's not there. <laughs> but isn't that yeah? Isn't that trauma? I'll defend you. I'll back defend you. It's this is like back pay for what I couldn't right, do back right. then. I'll I'll get vengeance for you. One might say. <laughs> That's right. Oh, you might say that. One might. <laughs> oh so, boy. Yeah. Let's move on to the next uh, core motivation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the third core motivation is the weakness, and yeah. this is what some teachers will refer to as the passion. I heard one one guy say, "Think of it like a crime of passion." When we say that someone commits a crime of passion. Oh, this person murdered their spouse's secret lover because they were so passionately <laughs> filled with right. anger. With that, whatever. Yeah, we call it a crime of passion. And so all nine types have their own passion that that just overwhelms them. And mm -hmm. it, it's like the fuel of what we of what we fixate on and wrestle with. And it's fueled the passion itself is fueled by our fear and by our desire. And so for the eight, that's the word lust. 
And we often think, obviously, the first thought for everyone with lust is a sexual lust. But that's actually way more of a modern thought of what lust is. It was an ancient thought too, but lust used to be a much more, have much more meaning to it than the word does nowadays. And so we're talking about more of the ancient meaning of the word lust, or some people have used the word excess for this passion. Yes, that's a much better word, yeah. Yeah, I think it communicates it better. And basically what it is, this excess slash lust is this intensity that knows no boundaries. It's a boundless shamelessness, again, as we talked about earlier, where the eight does what they want to and goes where they want to, regardless of how it affects those around them. And eights are often very aware of how they're affecting people around them, or at least what they perceive. So they're often like, I'm protecting this person, or I'm protecting myself, or I'm doing these things in the name of justice there's actually such a missing of people at times where they can really just hurt and and bulldoze over people in their passion. And so it's this constant desire for more control, more power, more intensity, pushing Mm -hmm. themselves willingly on life and people to get what they want. Do you connect with that? Can't say no. Yeah. The word that resonates the most is intensity for sure. I've been called intense a lot. Yeah. And even audience can't really see these lines, but my my intense thinking lines mm-hmm. above my face, my 11s, are proof of that, of the intensity. Mm. I think the desire for more control and power, I don't think I really want power in situations. And maybe that's my nine wing. That's just, you mm. can do it. That's fine. Sure. But I don't want anyone to control me, even with their language. If someone says, you should do this, I'm like, no, I'm not going to. Even though I had planned on it before, now I'm not going to. Yep. So I think it's more of a wanting to not be controlled and then pushing back on that piece if I sense anyone's trying to control me. But there are, I do a lot of intense things in my life. Like I, I cold plunge every morning in water that is way too cold. So it's like a really intense experience that I start my day with every day. Getting my black belt in Taekwondo, it's combative, it's intense, it's, it, it makes you feel powerful. And so that's where those things have shown up. But I would agree with you that we sometimes know, we're sometimes aware of how that can be perceived. And other times we do not have a clue. Mm. And when we hurt people, we're just like shocked. Mm. what that's not what i said or and there's right. maybe that's where that denial comes in you've mm. really made a clear connection for me with that today so i really appreciate mm. that yeah great yeah this is helpful for me too and it's interesting it sounds like your core weakness just like all of them there is a beautiful side to it where that intensity that mm. excess is used in good ways, right? You have your black belt in Taekwondo and you do this really healthy cold plunge. Like that's, there are tons of studies about how healthy and good that is for a shock to your nervous system and all that. I'm curious for you, is there, are there any ways where you see it as being a thorn in your side, so to speak? Yeah, I would just say in simple areas of like food and alcohol sometimes it's, oh, this is a good amount. So that means more of it is even better. <laughs> yeah. Or, Pushing myself willingly on people. Yeah, I think when I am not getting what I want or I'm trying to get my needs met, I will expand myself. It feels almost like a bodily sensation of me making myself bigger to become, they say, assertive or aggressive or independent stance, whatever that is. I can get what I'll get what I need and I'll get what you need if you need it and you don't have the nerve to go get it. I'll go get that for you, too. Uh 
and again, I see that as can be a positive thing, but how it's carried out can be really intense for people and they're not used to that energy and it can be scary and intimidating, but we really aren't trying. Most of the time I would say eights are not trying to be that way, Sure, but because we live in that space, it comes natural to us to access Mm -hmm. that, but it probably is pretty uncomfortable for a lot of types, Mm -hmm. the withdrawn types in particular, I would think. The fours and the fives and nines. Yeah. Do you find that it's hard for you to connect to your heart? Yes. I don't have to think about that. Okay. I have a little feeling wheel that I bring with me because I'm just like, okay, it's coming out as anger. What is it really? Oh, I'm embarrassed or, oh, I'm feeling controlled or uh, I'm feeling vulnerable to admit that I'm wrong here. And yes, I have trouble accessing my heart center for sure. I don't like to receive affirmation. I can easily give it, but it's really uncomfortable when people give it to me. And yeah, not being in tune with that is what Mm. makes us not realize when we've offended someone. Sure. Why would your feelings be hurt by that? I was just speaking the truth or whatever. Yeah, I was just being honest. (laughs) It's so mean. (laughs) Sometimes it's mean to be so honest, right? (laughs) But I definitely, I would say I, I am a doer and I fix, and then I will think later and feel even later than that. Yeah. I've heard the phrase for type eights that they fire ready aim. Yes. I leap before I have it written down here that I'm a leaper before I look. Yeah. <laughs> and before I think. I have done so many things and said so many things that just were yeah. so embarrassing. Yeah. And they're hilarious now, but it probably wasn't wasn't that good then. But the time. just things come out of your mouth and then you're sure. just like, whoa, why did I just say that? Yep. Yep. I've also heard it said that eights experience all their emotions as anger first. Yeah. Does that feel relatable? You said you had to carry around a feelings wheel. I'm curious specifically about (laughs) the feeling of sadness. Like, How do you experience Mm. sadness and grief? I have anger and I think denial and I will just move into doing mode. So start cleaning or moving, exercising, going on hikes. I I would think the time where I probably felt the most sad is when my dad passed away in 2010 because he was my kindred spirit and I felt very much alone when he passed. And I would hike, I would be outside, I would talk to him, but it had to be a physicality that was working out. And that helped me manage, keep that sadness in check. But because I can access my two and my nine parts pretty easily now with a lot of self-work, sadness is not a familiar feeling, but when it's there, it is so intense mm. that it's it just feels huge when I do let it in. So maybe that's why I don't let it in that much. Yeah. yeah but I would say it, sadness for us almost feels like sorrow. Like it's mm. so intense that it feels sorrowful. Yeah. You don't do things little. You do things big. All the things are mm. done. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And that's, again, can be good and bad, right? Sure. That lust can be the go big or go home. I'm doing a project right. and I'm going to do it better than anyone else and just watch me. Yeah, And then it can also be when it's shameless, to use your word, where we're not paying attention to repercussions of our actions or words or things, then it can get dangerous. Yeah. When we experience the freeze, fight, or flight responses, the brainstem area of our brain, the base of our brain, where the amygdala is, which holds memory and emotion, and that all takes over and shuts down our limbic system, which is like the front Mm -hmm. of our brain, the logical thinking. And so when we experience anger, it almost takes over, it like takes over everything else. And I actually think that lust is a very similar energy in that, in mm-hmm. that 
when we experience something where it's, I want this and I'm going to take it. And again, it doesn't have to be a sexual lust, but it can be. But I want this and I'm going to take it. Energy, I think that's part of the brain segmenting and like cutting off the higher reasoning functions. And that feels like a similar energy of anger, maybe. Mm-hmm. Am I making sense? Yeah. Yeah. We very easily, I think, go into that fight response 90% of the time. Yeah. Yes. I think you're, I think you're right. Like in the example I used of the vehicle that almost, it felt like he almost hit me. It was fight. I'm going to fight and I'm going to fight until you leave. I'm not leaving. But I wasn't thinking about, oh, this could be a dangerous situation I'm getting into. And we live in Canada, so there's no, there's gun control. But how do I know he doesn't have a weapon? And the fact that he came back should have suggested to me that I needed to back down a little bit, but instead, nope, I'm going to make myself bigger. That's just such a good example of this core weakness for sure. That intensity. Yeah. Yes. I love that example, honestly. I feel like that's a really good example. And my favorite part of the whole story is you putting your hand on his truck and you're like, you gathered your senses and we're like, okay, let's talk about this. And then he gets, says, get your effing hand off my truck. And you just go, okay, fight. <laughs> that's my favorite part. Fight again. That's the wrong thing to have just <laughs> <Yeah>. said. <laughs> you're like, let's be reasonable. Let's talk. And then okay. just power up again. It's nope, round two. Let's do it. That's my favorite part. Oh, man, it's so good. And what's funny, what I take comfort in is I could see that he was also very nervous. His bottom lip was quivering and we both were just so full of adrenaline. It was, oh, it's funny. I think I probably rode faster that day than any other day. I'm sure you did. (laughs) Makes you wonder if maybe he was also an eight and y'all were just like, yeah, just having going to town. Side of the road. For sure, he he could be. Yeah, I don't know. Knows, Again, right? that's just behavior, right? <laughs> exactly. Totally. I think eights are pretty recognizable, but Fair. I don't know. <laughs> but who knows? There are times in my life where I look like an eight, and mm-hmm. I'm very much not. For sure. I shouldn't say very much not, because I definitely have a large eight part to me. But yeah, you have access to that. Regardless. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. So we've talked about a lot of the trap of the eight, and I feel like anyone who is an eight and is relating to this and is experiences this cycle and this journey for themselves, it might feel kind of daunting or hopeless or kind of like, Mm -hmm. well, how do I get out of this? And that's Mm -hmm. where our fourth motivation comes in. And Mm -hmm. that's the core longing. There's a message that's offered to every single type. And it's a unique message to that type. It is a message that your heart needs to hear, your head needs to hear, your body needs to hear, spirit needs to hear, to feel, believe. And for eights, it is that you will not be betrayed. How does that message make you feel? What comes up for you? It makes me feel defensive, actually, because I'm like, Mm. I don't believe you. I've seen it too many times. It's hard. It's a hard message to receive. When people say it and they've proven themselves, like they've got some relationship proof behind them saying that, I still, I think because I'm in that reject, rejected triad, yeah, that I will automatically walk into situations and relationships feeling like this is going to happen at some point. So I'm just going to not get that invested so that if it does happen, it's not going to bother me that much. So it is definitely a longing, but I find it even hard to believe when I when people have given me that message and they've proven true. Yeah, that's hard. It's a hard one. Yeah, it's interesting because with all of these core longings, they sound too good to be true. And in some respects, they are too good to be true. Yeah. And I hear you are wanted and loved as a two. I go, but there are people who don't want me. And they've said it to my face. And they've walked out of my life. The core longing of eight is you will not be betrayed. But there are people who have betrayed you. And will in the future too. (laughs) And will in the future. And may be doing it now. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's where do we find actual hope in this message? 
I think that's where faith comes in that ultimately God will not betray you. He won't. And he's very kind. We get glimpses of that in in some of our sweetest relationships. And and so I just want to recognize that because it does feel too good to be true. And in some senses it is because there are a lot of people who are going to prove this message wrong. And even the people that won't, they still have the potential to do that. Totally. But when you look at when you look at Jesus, he has proven himself to take all of these core longings to the nth degree, giving up his very life. And then when you look at stories in the Bible that resonate with you the most as as your type, you know, Peter's denial. Oh gosh, that story when he denies and betrays Christ three times and then it's not reciprocated. I'm just like, what? How does he do that? Like, how does he not just write Peter off? Yeah. And I get so mad at Peter for that story. I just so mad. Sure. But he's also one of my favorite characters because I can totally see myself acting like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so yes, I think you're right in that this core longing has to only ultimately come from God. But because we're made in his image, we can yeah. get glimpses of it. Yep. But it is hard to it is hard to rest in in it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. What I always tell people too is, especially because like I, there are people who will listen to this podcast of all walks of faith or agnostic yeah. or whatever. Like there's all walks of people hopefully, who are listening to this podcast. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Right. And what I tell people, like what I've told people in, in corporate seminars that I've done, which are non-religious environments, mm-hmm. I've said to be free from the trap of your type, to have your core fear lose its power over you, to have your core desire not be something that controls you to have your core weakness not be something that debilitates you. You need to believe this core longing. This core longing needs to sink in and it needs to be a part of what you believe and hold fast to. So you need to find that truth somewhere. For me, the only place I've been able to find that truth is in God. (laughs) I can't see it anywhere else. And I know you agree with that. Um, Yeah, for sure. And that's where I challenge people. I'm like, please tell me, message me, tell me, where do you find this truth? Where do you get um, that? Yeah. Where do you get that? Because I don't know where else to get that. But it's the only thing that that saves you from the trap of your type. It's mm. something worth thinking about. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So there are breath prayers that we, Scott and I, recommend for every type. And mm. for type eights, we recommend breathing deeply and breathing out this message. I am held. I am known. I am protected. I am loved. Are there any that you would add, Stacey, as an eight yourself or any of those that feel like that maybe they don't resonate? They all do resonate. Held is the one where it's like, eh, that makes me feel weak. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But when I do really need to be held, when I do really need a hug, there's nothing better than a really good hug from someone. But I would add that I am understood. And that's kind of like known because I think eights are so misunderstood. Female eights in particular, I think, are, oh, yeah. it's a hard, it's hard because I don't have a great reputation. I would add that I'm soft and that I'm able to have needs. That's, it's really hard for wow. me to ask for help. And it's excruciating, actually, is a word I would use. Able to have needs is something that I think would be a good practice to add. That's so good. It's such a good reminder of your humanity, right? Yeah. Another really powerful practice, if people don't connect with the breath pairs necessarily, is affirmations. We recommend a sentence for each type to affirm themselves looking in the mirror, preferably looking in a mirror so you can see yourself when you say it and watch mm-hmm. your lips move and as you hear yourself and see yourself speak this. 
for eights, that affirmation is, I will not be betrayed apart from how I protect and defend myself or others. Can you and, go a little d- bit deeper into that? Tell me what you mean yeah. with the word apart. Yeah. The mechanism for eights to make sure that they're not betrayed is that they protect mm-hmm. themselves and they defend themselves and they protect mm-hmm. others and defend others. And the core longing comes in and mm-hmm. says, actually, even when you don't defend someone else, even when you don't protect yourself, even when you're not the one doing the defending or protecting, you will not be betrayed. And again, yeah, I even have to ask you, what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. What would that even look like? Totally. I'm very open to rephrasing that. If you think there's a better way to rephrase it, I'm super open to that. I think it's this idea of ultimate betrayal. Ultimately, you will not be betrayed. Like what we were talking about earlier, regardless of what you do, this is your status. You, your status is that you have right. someone who is loyal to you and will never turn their back on you. Yeah. No, I like that. I'm going to, I got to think about that more and maybe yeah. type it out and put it somewhere where I can see yeah. it. <laughs> yes. Giving ourselves gentle reminders of these things is, it just goes such a long way. I really love this next analogy. As we begin to wrap up here, hmm. I kind of want to point out like the beauty of the eights. <laughs> I like this analogy of a tree. And so there's so many analogies with trees in them, mm. but I like trees. Trees are just great, right? Yeah, trees are awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so if you think of this tree as three parts, Think of the root and the trunk as one part, the roots mm-hmm. and the trunk. Think of the branches as another part, the strong mm-hmm. branches that come out and grow beautiful leaves on them. And then think of the fruit from the tree as the mm. third part. Mm-hmm. So the first part is this core longing. When your tree trunk, when yourself, your personality, your everything is built and rooted in this core longing, you will not be betrayed. That is where the roots then grow into this beautiful, strong trunk. That is built on this foundation of truth. Right. And then as the branches start to come, this is a virtue. Mercy grows out of that. And mm-hmm. mercy is not getting what you deserve and not giving other people what they deserve, sparing people of vengeance, so to speak. And then as those branches grow strong and mercy not being a weak thing, but being a very strong thing <laughs> to offer mm-hmm. and to gift people, then cultivates this fruit off those branches of innocence. Eights actually become like innocent children in some way, not weak, not at all, but the innocence of I can be a strong leader who stands up and sticks up for the weak and the powerless, but I'm leading from a place of vulnerability myself. And rather than this built up armor of a person, it's this very strong, powerful person who's also very confident with their vulnerabilities and their weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And realizing that in their weakness, their strength is actually shown. Oh, I'm curious. Yeah. How do you resonate with all that? What do you think and feeling? I feel like I'm still right in the middle of that process of recognizing that vulnerability is actually strength in disguise because it does not feel like that at all yet. But I do feel like I'm learning better how to soften myself and apologize and take responsibility for my part in things. I do feel like I do some work in Uganda where we, it's a, it's actually a whole eight thing. We did this huge project for my 50th birthday and now it's grown into buying and taking care of a school over there. And when I go over there just most recently in October when there was an Ebola outbreak, it's a really good exercise for me in giving up control because I have control over nothing over there. I, nothing. And it is so uncomfortable giving that up. But I feel like when I open up my heart to those spaces, it really helps me to trust, not necessarily the the betrayal part, mm. but the 
giving up control part that God's got this and you can be used in a way that's soft and nurturing with these kids and you can let yourself be hurt by their stories and, you know, and then your eightness will can do something about that. But I would say my self-analysis is just beginning in a way that trying to still figure out how does vulnerability equals strength. Yeah. It's still not congruent in my mind. It seems like a paradox. Yeah. And people suggest journaling and things for eights. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not going to journal. But I have started doing the cold plunging and a little bit of yoga. It has to be short bursts. And I'm finding that's helpful because it makes me feel like it's okay to relax a little bit and breathe and realize everything doesn't have to be so intense all the time. I'm not sure if that answered your question. The short answer is I'm still working on it. I love it. Yeah. With showing mercy being a strength and not a vulnerability. Yeah. Yes. I love that answer because it's honest. That's what you're going to get with an eight, right? (laughs) Don't I know it. I never have to think, I never have to wonder what the eights of my life are thinking. (laughs) No, sorry about that. It's great. No, don't be. (laughs) It's great. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, Stacey, it has been such a pleasure to talk with you and spend this time with you. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on and representing eights and just sharing some of your vulnerable, beautiful heart with us. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation and hopefully represented parts of eights that need to be heard. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I think you definitely did. All right. Thank you so much. Of course. No, I won't suffer. I'll prove that I'm stronger. A true force of nature. I'll show you power and strength, but also compassion as I surrender. To connection. Wow. It's just so good talking with Stacy. Stacy, you are such a gift. And thank you again for coming on the show and just sharing your heart with us and bravely displaying your eightness. I know that's not an easy thing to do. To all our listeners, please go rate us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. Feel free to tell us whatever you'd like. Give us advice. Tell us what you think. Give us five stars, whatever you want. (laughs) But only five stars and nothing (laughs) less. We're happy for all the constructive criticism. Yes. And all the five stars. Finally, if you are wondering about the song playing in the background right now, that is my song titled Eight from my album Enya Songs. This song has a little surprise at the very end and is the only song that I had another person sing with me. My at the time six-year-old niece, Kensley, features in this song at the very end. Healthy eights are great examples to us of childlike vulnerability and innocence, and so naturally I wanted to include a child's voice singing with me in this song. Enjoy it! As always, thanks for listening today, friends, and always remember, we need a tool like the Enneagram to grow in self-awareness because what you don't own owns you. Be well, friends. Bye! The core fear of Enneagram Type 8s is being betrayed, weak, powerless, harmed, manipulated, controlled, and... Are you all right? I'm good. What are you doing? Quite the, quite the belch. Oh, you burped. I didn't hear you. <laughs> I did it all. So you... I didn't even hear it, so good. you're good. Oh, yeah, so you're fine. And usually they're right. They're, mm. Their guts are actually... Oftentimes they have a gut feeling about something. It's usually correct. What did I just say? Their guts are in tune. Uh-huh. You were talking about how they...
Got it. See injustice. And Got normally it. their gut's correct. Thank you.